Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. As always, this week we're talking with the prince of Twitter, the regent of redstate.com, Andrew Malcolm, at A.H. Malcolm on Twitter. He is calling from an undisclosed location because he was marching on the Ed Morrissey Show headquarters uh, with a call-up of uh, Twitter followers behind him. I managed to turn him back, and I told him that he had to go take refuge in the Red State podcast. So he's a... The crowd, the crowd was packed with um, with uh, FBI clamps. Well, that too, yeah. But uh, you know, it's a you know, you're you were marching on that you were marching on that Thames podcast road, um, and you'd already see, you'd already seized a couple of bastions. I think you'd seized a uh, a Jazz Shaw uh, post and and was were marching on the on the hot air capital. And I I managed to turn you back. Now you fled into exile. <laughs> That's that's what happened. Right? The reason why you're not on camera this week. That's right. That's right. I'm in exile, in, and with uh, uh, the plastic surgeon is doing an, an incredible uh, changeover of identity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's uh, you know, um, I, I was going to picture of Selena Zito and say this is what he's going to look like when he comes back, but I, 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 Selena might send me an email. <laughs> so I think. <laughs> Well, you remember, you remember in uh, Thunderball, where they 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 had the duplicate pilot. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you know, when you said Thunderball, I was thinking of the um, the old James Con movie. But that no Thunderball, the the Bond the Bond film Thunderball. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, right, right, yeah. And at the time, that was that was really freaky. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to talk about the about the the, the big stories. We're going to get into Hunter Biden. We're also going to get into the Fox News shakeup. But we got to start off with what's going on in Russia because that's just that's just crazy, man. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. I mean, fascinating. It's fascinating, right? I mean, this is history sort of unfolding. You don't usually see strongman regimes crack quite this openly, right? I mean, it's. Uh, right. This one was developing for a while, and it's like it was almost like this catastrophe in slow motion for Vladimir Putin. Now they they finally they finally turned uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin back, and he's going to go live in Belarus with about eight thousand of his followers, apparently. And I, 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 my advice for Yevgeny Prigozhin is don't stand near any windows, especially on yeah, higher, exactly. especially on higher, higher, higher floors and buildings, you know, because. Um, I hear that the Moscow window flu is, uh, is, is, is spreading to Belarus these days, but yeah, yeah. nothing it's, about it's that makes sense. Well, you know, it's, well, to my eyes, and I'm not a, a, a Russian expert, but to my eyes, this is, uh, uh, shows the changes in Russia since the end of the Soviet empire. Yeah. Um, uh, where during the Soviet, during the real Soviet era, um, he would have been assassinated, uh, arrested, and the NKVD or the KGB would have would have hauled him off and into the woods, and he would come back. Right. Well, now, and as you pointed out, it's been a slow motion ongoing. We got Prigozhin, who's who's been openly defiant. Now, he was careful to be defiant of 
Putin henchman, the Minister of Defense and the head of the armed forces, uh, and the cri criticizing them early and blatantly and, and strongly. Um, but the business of marching on, marching into Russia, that, and to get away with it for a couple of days, um, is, uh, <laughs> that's a crack. And, and when you see something like that, the, I think the real changes have come later on. You know, I mean, remember during the, during the Stalin era, and Khrushchev and, and all that, they would watch a parade from the parapet of the Kremlin. And the lineup of men in their fur hats standing there would reveal who was the big guy and who was number two and who had moved, who had moved down the line. Uh, and I think in the modern times, obviously it's been Putin and he had Medvedev who um around. Yeah. With, yeah yeah but he was a he was a, a surrogate for putin in, during his term um and uh, they there hasn't been a whole lineup of guys it's been it's been putin and and he likes it that way uh but i'm i'm thinking maybe sometime in the coming months you know, there, there could be this maneuvering going on behind. Not that Prigozhin could pull it off, but Prigozhin's attempt uh, shows the weakness. Uh, and, you know, Putin had tough, tough words while he's a traitor and treason and, and, uh, yeah. and so on. But As but, we went on the air, he, he, was, he was speaking for the first time on, on television to the Russian people saying that, uh, he was angry and that the uh, commanders of the Wagner group were, were traitors, but the people, but the fighters underneath them were, you know, just being used, that sort of thing. And that he's going to, Putin says he's going to stand by his deal to allow Prigozhin to go to Belarus and any, and that the Wagner group um, fighters have an option to either sign contracts with the Ministry of Defense or to leave Russia. <laughs> and, um, Reportedly, they're building camps in Belarus to house about 8,000 of these guys, and supposedly there were 25,000 of them. So they're clearly anticipating that a good significant number of these guys are going to uh, get out uh, of Russia. You know, I, I tend to think, well, they're already out of Ukraine, right? They all marched out of Ukraine on yeah. Friday. Um, it took yeah, Rostov, which was, which was the, I mean, the seizure of Rostov, that was, that's the communications link to, you know, for all of the um, troops in, in uh, Ukraine, for the Russian troops in Ukraine. They don't have any other way to right. resupply those guys except through Rostov. And so right. it looked like they were basically going to cut off the army and then seize Moscow. And I think that that's, I, I know Prigozhin said, well, that's not what I was intending to do. I was, it, this was just a demonstration. Uh, you don't shoot down helicopters if you're on a demonstration. <laughs> they were, yeah, they were, exactly. and, and, and what was remarkable about this, Andrew, is that they were basically unopposed. Now, the Russian National Guard, which is not a battle-tested formation, right? 
had set up a ring around Moscow, but they weren't able to slow these guys down before that. They just talk, you know, they just talked Prigogine out of it. Um, I think he just yeah. lost his nerve. I think I think he fully intended to try to seize Moscow and to beat out justice on his own terms. And I think he just wilted <laughs> in the moment because to me, this was the classic Julius Caesar move, right? Um, yeah. And I was saying no, this exactly. since Friday, yeah. that is that Julius Caesar took a look at, you know, he was, he was, you know, he was in a dispute with Pompey, who was the, I think he was the consul or he was the, he was the, um, you know, yeah. a part of a triumvirate or a, a quadrumvirate um, at the time that was running um, Rome and decided that he wanted to settle the dispute by basically seizing the capital. And he had one legion and Pompey had, I think, 10, but they were spread out all over the place, right? His legions were yeah. out in the hinterlands doing imperial stuff. And, right. and, and Julius Caesar saw the opportunity to seize Rome and he did. He crossed the Rubicon, shocked Rome, shocked Pompey. Pompey had to flee. And Julius Caesar spent the next, what, two years chasing him all over the place until... Um, until Ptolemy the 13th had him beheaded in Egypt and Julius Caesar had Ptolemy the 13th killed <laughs> for the insult of, of beheading a Roman general. Um, yeah. Yeah. Those guys, they, uh, yeah, that was stable. They, um, yeah. They don't, they don't suffer fools, uh, or, um, what do you call them? Opponents, contenders. Well, no, but I mean, the, I mean, this is weakness. And this is the thing that I think is the most remarkable part of this. I know Vlad, Vladimir Putin's on TV, you know, saying we're strong, we're, you know, it's nonsense. <laughs> they got caught with their pants down because all of their useful fighting forces are in Ukraine. They've got no defenses. And, you know, if Ukraine and, muster 25,000 march on Moscow, they wouldn't be able to stop them. Exactly. And the ones that are in Ukraine are that great so far. Right. Right. Their command structure is ancient and it didn't work for the Germans. It didn't work for the Russians. Uh, I guess it did work for the Russians and they just killed a few, a couple million guys throwing them at it and they finally won. But wow. Um, the, the, the humanity that's, that's being lost in this vanity coup of, yep. of, of Putin is uh, beyond belief. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really amazing to me how this is going on and, um, and, how, and what this does for Putin. I mean, this shows that yeah, this well, is a very brittle regime and it's not going to take much to push it over if somebody... Like, you know, Ramzan Kadyrov decides all of a sudden that he wants to be the guy deciding who sits in the big chair. You know, Kadyrov and his Chechen army could do exactly the same damn thing that um, Prigogine just did. March, seize Rostov. They sent him, they sent him to reinforce Rostov, which I thought was, man, that's ballsy. <laughs> like, yeah. You yeah, that's yeah. like, <laughs> you're going to have the wolf uh, chase the fox out of the hen house. I mean, that's... <laughs> You, 
That, that's yeah, a that's yeah, an expression and, of trust that I, I, I think was like desperation more than anything else. They didn't have anybody else to do it. It's, uh, it's fascinating to watch from afar. I'm yeah. glad I'm, I'm, no, I'm glad I'm nowhere near. That's right. Uh, but geez, oh, Pete, uh, the, the, what's the word? The um, brittle is your word. Yeah. The brittleness of the Russian military and uh, blatant inept, ineptness often. Uh, and I, I think it was, was it Austin, the, the, our defense secretary, or somebody was saying uh, that it's, uh, it'll take them 10 years to restore the Russian military. And if they restore them to what they are, that's, <laughs> that's not going to be too impressive. Um, well, not only that, but don't forget that they had spent 20 years supposedly modernizing the Russian army. I mean, before yeah. they invaded Ukraine, they'd been spent, Putin was claiming that he was modernizing the Russian army. And it turns out that a lot of that money went into the pockets of the oligarchs because it's not showing up on the battlefield. And, and, uh, uh, and, yeah. and their hypersonic, their hypersonic missile that Putin bragged about was downed easily by the Patriot missiles that we gave yeah. Ukraine. So, um, yeah, uh, they are. I'm, you know, we don't we don't have troops per se in Ukraine, but I'm sure we have spooks uh, there, and they've been studying very closely Russian tactics, Russian movements. They have the satellites; they can share whatever they want with the with the Ukrainian. Uh, I know we have shipped uh, uh, captured Russian tanks back to Michigan to our tank center to study what those T-90 tanks are, what they can do, and obviously what their weaknesses are. Um, and uh, you know, yeah, it's the least Ukraine can do is to hand over some captured uh, Russian tanks. Right. Um, but but the mess, and then on the, from a strategic point of view, the colossal misstep by Putin, the colossal um, ineptness of their intelligence that they were, they thought Ukraine was just going to fold. Uh, yeah. and, and they ran into a buzzsaw. And then the colossal ineptness of their strategies and their tactics. They have execution. Yeah. I mean, have, all of it. They have no. They have no non-commissioned officer ranks. Uh, you know, in the American army and the strength of it, and I guess NATO, but the, the strength of the American army on D-Day was that captains had a lot of initiative and a lot of leeway. Uh, and they could change and adapt as battles always do. Uh, and ult ultimately vanquish whatever obstacle they were facing. The Germans on on D Day, they had they had Panthers there. Um, uh, what, was the, what was the tank guy's name? Um, the famous Rommel. Thank you, Rommel. Yeah, he was yeah. on leave. Uh, he was on 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 leave back with his family. Had to commit suicide later, but. He was on leave 
And the, the Panzer forces wouldn't do anything without Hitler's okay. And as usual, he was up late in the bunker uh, and uh, his aides would not wake him up. I mean, this is this is the opening act of the end of the Third Reich, and they're not going to wake him up and disturb his sleep because they're so scared of him. I mean, this is what all autocrats autocrats faced. And by the time they woke him up, and by the time he ordered the Panzers and they got going, uh, the Americans had too much of a foothold, and they, it was bloody. But they couldn't they couldn't push him back into the sea. Well. The same thing has been displayed in the initiative of the Russian army uh, in, in Ukraine. The NCOs have no initiative, so when they run into a problem, uh, nothing happens. And so the general goes to the front, and I think uh, Ukrainian snipers have wiped out more than a dozen senior officers, including generals, uh, because they show up at the front to try to clear up the mess. Uh, and um, uh, they can't they can't adapt. Uh, so it, this is very revealing, I suppose, in terms of NATO. It's uh, builds their confidence, but NATO itself has been lax since the end of the Soviet Union, and they haven't been spending as much on defense. Trump called them out on some of that. Yep. Uh, and um, and so they're going to have to get get their acts together and they're going to have to get everyone out of the way somehow the election didn't do it or uh, to get him to okay sweden's entry into nato uh but um what a what and i have no idea well you can guess why turkey is in nato uh, it was an early member i think it was 52 they got it uh, nato started in 49 uh, and uh, Turkey was in it, I think, because the big air base insulate in Turkey uh, right. gave gave the Allies access to the whole to the whole Middle East. But the Turkey is I, I looked it up one time thousands of miles from the North Atlantic it has nothing to do with the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. And he's playing both sides. Putin is building a nuclear reactor for him. Putin sold him um, the most sophisticated air defense system of Russia. And then Erdogan said, oh, by the way, we'd like to have some F-35s. And fortunately, uh, uh, the US so far anyway has said uh, no. So the whole thing is, is exposed weaknesses on all sides uh, and opportunities um, for us if we're willing to to take them. Yep. All right, I want to move on to um, the Hunter Biden saga, you know, the, the, the whole plea deal thing, and then the IRS oh. whistleblowers that emerged afterwards to claim that the Department of Justice actually suppressed uh, the investigation and forced uh, the department, the, uh, the US attorney involved to um, offer a very weak plea deal uh, that would ensure that Hunter Biden didn't get any prison time and, and that the investigation didn't go any further. There's lots of angles to, to look at, but what I wanna to talk to you about, Andrew, first off is the whole thing smells, but more interestingly, the media is really reporting on these IRS whistleblowers. I mean, they're, they're actually taking this seriously, which 
also smells a little bit to me. I'm sorry. Maybe I'm just too skeptical. Maybe I'm just cynical. <laughs> no, I, it's warranted. Yeah, cynicism is warranted whenever it comes to the modern American media, I'm afraid. So what is, I mean, I know that people are saying, oh, they're, they're trying to, they're, they're, they're signaling that it's time to get rid of Biden on the ticket. And normally I would say, I would scoff. I would scoff, I say, Andrew, I'd say, scoff, 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 scoff. Uh, you know, that's not the way this game is played. Um, I'm not necessarily <laughs> so sure about that. I'm beginning to wonder if this is a signal from the, um, from the, uh, the curators of the left that uh, maybe this guy is just really too, too damaged and Democrats really need to start thinking about a, a serious challenge to him. And a serious challenge being somebody other than RFK Jr., by the way. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. And and other than Kamala. I mean, she'd be... Yeah, that's a whole other, a whole other topic, isn't it? <laughs> she, she'd get carved up on a debate stage. Uh, yeah. Uh, and just even with a sympathetic media. Well, you know, you're right. And I have all I have been thinking. I well, I'll back up. We talked about this earlier in the winter, that, and and you said you didn't think Biden would be the the ultimate nominee in '24 for Democrat. Yep. And I thought I thought at the time, what what was the alternative? And and if if you make the alternative, Pamela then that, or if you block her, then that opens up another whole can of worms that makes uh, a Democrat victory uh, problematic. Um, right. But, but I, I've come to the conclusion, I, I don't know who it is. I mean, you think Newsom or Pritzker or somebody, but I don't understand uh, I don't believe that they they they're Biden's gone so far. I don't know how they could put him up now. And I had been thinking that the only way they could get rid of him is to announce, you know, like like the Dave movie. Oh, he's got a serious medical problem, and uh, and thank him with all kinds of tributes and throwing flower petals and everything and, and let him go off to retirement on the beach and enjoy his illicit million. But um, I guess it, it could be done with, well, sir, uh, you know, the, the clamor over corruption is just too great. Uh, well, you're going to have to voluntarily step aside. We won't oust you. And Biden doesn't seem in any position to resist. Maybe Joe would, but. Well, I think that's I the point of having NBC and CBS and ABC actually cover the IRS whistleblower, especially NBC. I mean, Lester Holt led off the Friday evening, you know, broadcast. Chuck Todd had, had covered it earlier in the day um, as a significant story. And Lester, was it Thursday or Friday's broadcast, um, led it with, with the whistleblowers. And, and, and these whistleblowers, I mean, somebody's lying, right? Merrick Garland yeah. says David Weiss had plenary authority. Nobody told David Weiss what to do. And these guys have documentary evidence supporting their contention that David Weiss told them at the time that he wasn't the person making these decisions. So somebody's lying. 
either David Weiss is lying or the whistleblowers are lying or Merrick Garland is lying. And the proper thing to do is haul everybody in front of a House committee, force them to take an oath and testify as to what exactly the F was happening <laughs> in this five-year investigation of Hunter Biden. Um, and James Comer is saying oh, wow. that that's what he wants to do. He doesn't want a special counsel. He wants to handle it himself, which I think is right. Well, I don't know if he's going to get what he wants, but um, that would yeah. be helpful. Uh, and you think Merrick Garland, without Mitch McConnell, Merrick Garland would have been on the Supreme Court. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and what a hack he turned out to be. <laughs> another, another Abe Fortas. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. What uh, a hack he turned out to be. I mean, the, the idea that if you're criticizing the Department of Justice, you're attacking democracy is absolutely insane. <laughs> right? It's absolutely nuts. These are the same guys that were that were criticizing Bill Barr for not, you know, throwing Trump in jail while he was still president. And and all of a sudden, oh, if you talk about if you talk bad about the Department of Justice, you hate democracy. Uh, no, 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 yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, talk about self-serving. Oh God, yeah. Uh, All right. Well, we got to get in one last topic here. Fox News announced its new primetime lineup today, and yeah. it's basically, it's basically the same primetime lineup except that they're just moving Jesse Waters up into primetime, which I think was pretty much well, the obvious play for them anyway. Right? He's a popular guy. He's got his own audience, and yeah. it makes sense. This is to replace Tucker Carlson. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't know that uh, Jesse Waters has the, the wattage of, um, of Tucker Carlson, but they moved Laura Ingram earlier and right. they moved Greg, Gut Greg Gutfield earlier. He was dominating late night. Um, I mean, yeah. totally dominating late night, uh, but now he'll be at 10 and not late night. So, uh, you know, it's, it's it's showbiz. It, it shows you that it's showbiz, and I guess there's nothing wrong with that unless you expect it to be run on a uh, legitimate news um, basis. Well, you know, prime time on all these cable networks are, is entertainment time, right? I mean, it really is. Um, and yeah. so Justin Waters fits into that paradigm. So does Greg Gutfield, for that matter. It doesn't mean that they're not also covering important topics. But it's more entertainment than it is, you know, a straight news program. Brett Baer is straight news, right? And he's good at oh, it. Oh yeah, and he did, and he did a good job with Trump last week. He did. he did. But I mean, I think that you know, again, it's either that or you have to bring in somebody from the outside, right? And I don't know who you bring in from the outside anyway to replace Tucker. So you may as well give Justice, Jesse Waters a shot at it and see how well he does. I mean, Tucker Carlson was pretty well known when he took that gig with Fox, but he was the Daily Caller founder and stuff like that. He had his own audience, but it's nothing like how he turned out to be. He turned out to be a phenomenon in there. And it's possible Jesse Waters can do the same thing with a one-hour show. I mean, there's certainly been talk, and I think it was over at Real Clear Politics last week sometime. Somebody was saying, well, I'll say this. Jack Schaefer actually said it first at Politico, which is that the star of Fox News late night is Fox News. And you can kind of plug anybody into there and you're still going to get really great ratings because it's not the people, it's the it's the brand that is selling. And really? I think, 
Yeah, you know, I, I think the Tucker thing really kind of damaged that, but we'll see. It might end up being still true with Jesse Waters. And I'm not saying that Jesse Waters isn't a talented guy. He's kind of, he's a funny guy. He's a talented guy. And he's certainly got, a, you know, a point of view. But, you know, they lost, they lost, you know, Bill O'Reilly and things were fine. They lost Glenn Beck and things were fine. Um, you know, they, they, they canceled Tucker. And things weren't fine for at least a little bit. Now they're going to try to stabilize things. Uh, as and far they, as I can, uh, this is the they, easiest play for them to make. And they lost. Uh, I'm sorry, the last two. I'm having a brain lapse here. Uh, the woman who went to NBC. Oh, 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 uh, Megan Kelly. Yeah, they lost Megan Kelly, who had a. Yeah really good established um audience but she did, get, yeah. she did get crosswise after the after the debates with trump and i think that that was part of the reason why you know part of the decision process in her leaving fox to go to nbc and it didn't work out very well for her. it's working out very well now as an independent you know doing independent um show production for her but um but yeah the, the tucker thing was different i mean they can tucker when he was and, at, and at tucker, Tucker's trying an independent production too. Yeah, yeah, and I think yeah. he'll succeed at that. I mean, I he'll he'll succeed at doing that. That's that's for sure. All right. Well, we've come to the point of time on our podcast where we have to start thinking about the jokes of the week. I don't know if you had a chance to to you know. I, uh, your... I have I have I have two old ones. Okay, good. Perhaps you have some. So Seth Meyers said. Um, uh, that uh, there is an auction coming. This is old, remember. There's an auction coming with a, an extremely rare Star Wars figurine. Uh, they expect that it will get uh, nearly a quarter of a million dollars uh, for a very intricately carved female Star Wars audience member. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, <laughs> and then uh, and then uh, Jimmy Fallon um, says that uh, this is old one again that Barack Obama has agreed to throw out the first pitch at the upcoming All Star Game, and uh, Joe Biden will be on hand to commit the first error. <laughs> I like that one too. All right. I got, I got a couple for you. Um, so uh, Mary's fourth grade homework assignment was to make sentences using the words in her spelling list along with the definition. So she came across the word frugal and she asked her dad what it meant. And he says, well, that frugal means, you know, you, you've saved something. So she wrote, ate Mary and fell into a pit when she was walking in the woods. So she yelled for somebody to come get her out and yelled, frugal me, frugal me. Um, that's a clean joke. Uh, and then this I is a like, joke. Like. Frugal. Um, all right. When my wife was sleeping, I drew Mark Hamill on her forehead, and you should have seen the Luke on her face. Oh no! Luke, I am your mother. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So uh, okay, well, that's it for, that's it for, those, are, those are pathetic. Yeah, 
like, yeah, well, I mean, I mean, uh, not not just yours. I mean, the whole, although I did, I like the old fair one. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, all right. So, uh, but that's the best we can do while you're, you know, while you're running and hiding in Bella Red State. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Bella Red State. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I could have said Bel Air, but you know that would have sounded a little weird. But you know, so Bella Red State. That's a you know, but that's you don't need to hide in Red State because you are the regent of RedState.com, the prince of Twitter at AH Malcolm. Here every single week with your wisdom. Next next week we get you back on camera. We got the uh, we'll, we'll we'll be looking forward to that, but. Always great to talk to you, video, audio, or, or you know, even by uh, smoke signal, Andrew. It's always great to, to uh, deconstruct the, the top stories of the week with you. I agree. And, you know, uh, all these 15 years, the show must go on. The show must go on. It must go on. So, and it just, <laughs> all right, Andrew, have a great week. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Ed. See you later. This is Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com for Town Hall. Call it the shortest and strangest challenge to Vladimir Putin's power and his strongman regime. Yevgeny Prigozhin, a man elevated by Putin from caterer to warlord, was one day's march from Moscow with some 25,000 battle-hardened mercenaries behind him. Putin, who has all of his army committed to a failing conquest of Ukraine, looked ripe for a fall. Only a last-minute deal brokered by Putin ally Alexander Lukashenko averted a civil war, for now. Despite accusing Prigozhin and his commanders of treason, Putin allowed them to leave Russia with thousands of his soldiers. Putin is weaker and the Russian war looks more precarious than before. And that is a worrisome development. Putin has been a threat to the world peace and stability for decades, but the alternatives at the moment are worse. Prigozhin himself was little more than a brutal warlord. The West had better start preparing now for what's next. I'm Ed Morrissey.